Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a great adventure to live here on earth and that it will continue into eternity. Today, as we turn to your word and as we consider what it means to follow the road home, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would open each of our hearts, that we would receive the one truth that we need to take the next step on the journey so that we can participate in the plan you have for our lives and not our own. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last weekend, Nancy and I were in Philadelphia, New York City, to celebrate with our daughters as our younger daughter, Emmy, graduated from college. And I was struck while we were in New York City about how many people there, there are going in so many different directions. It was just incredible. There were millions of people, literally, obviously, live in the city. But last weekend, um, we wanted to go after, you know, we went to see a musical, and then we wanted, Nancy wanted to see the Christmas tree at uh, Rockefeller Center. So we started towards Rockefeller Center, and we got about a block and a half away, and the streets were closed all around Rockefeller Center. So the whole street, both sides of the sidewalk, were just jammed up with people. It, it was literally just walking like this. And there was a little boy about eight or nine years old in front of me, and he goes, Mommy, I can't see where I'm going. And the mother, who was about this tall, said, That's why you have to follow me. And I started laughing to myself because anybody under six feet tall wasn't seeing where they were going. And those of us who were six feet tall, all we saw was a bunch of heads bobbing from one place to the other. It took about 15 minutes to walk a block. And so on Monday night, as Nancy and I were driving north on Bear Creek Road, we were about two miles from home. Nancy said to me, so do you like it better there or here? And I said, well, I like space. I, I like to be able to walk without people prodding and pushing me everywhere I go. And, and I was thinking, you know, I've driven in New York City. I used to actually, my senior year of seminary, I drove a, for a limousine service. So I drove in New York City. And the thing I, I would like to tell you is I'd rather look out for deer on Bear Creek Road than a double-decker bus or pedestrian in New York City because deer are a lot less common on Bear Creek Road. Anyway, I suppose if I had to, I could live in New York City, but I really don't have to, so I'm glad I live here. After being here for 25 years in this area, it seems like home. And as we talk about our great adventure today, what we're going to talk about is the road home. And the road home isn't Bear Creek Road, and it isn't 42nd Street, and it isn't any earthly destination. In fact, the ultimate road home is an eternal road that takes us to heaven. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Remember when we were talking about Jesus who told us that there's this narrow way that we have to follow? And this is what we said, and it's in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And we talked about how our actions speak louder than our words when it comes to following on this road. And we talked about how there's no goodness in us and we have to receive a new life. We have to be born again as Jesus called it. And then his goodness works its way out in our lives. And then we take this journey on this narrow path and ultimately it will lead us home to heaven. 
And today we're going to look at another scripture from the Apostle Paul who talks again about this way home. Now, sort of interesting, even though the message is called the road home, it's not really a road so much as it is uh, airspace, you might say. We're going to talk about that. And if you're here, uh, maybe for the first time, or you've been coming for a little while, but Jesus Christ is not your Savior and Lord, first of all, we're glad you're here. We really are glad that you're here, because I think this is one of the better places that you're going to come to find out about Jesus and about his reality. But I want to tell you this in advance. As we read this scripture, if, you, if Jesus isn't your Savior and Lord, it's going to seem strange. And the reason I'm going to tell you that is because I've been following Jesus for 46 years and it still seems strange to me. So whether you, you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and Savior means he saved you from sin and death, and Lord means that he is the owner of your life. Uh, and if you, if you don't know that yet, if you haven't trusted him as Savior and Lord yet, I'd ask you to listen carefully. And those of you who have trusted him, I'm asking you to listen even more carefully. Because this passage talks about what ultimately matters. It talks about what happens at the end of time. And as Pastor Brad reminded us last week, the decisions we make now matter for eternity, and so we're going to talk about eternity. Let's get right to the scripture. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and Thessalonians is uh, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Thessalonica. Aren't you glad you don't live there? That would be tough to write down and remember, wouldn't it? I don't even know how to spell it. But anyway, Thessalonica, and in chapter 4, he's talking to the believers about what happens at the end. So... Let's look at verse 13. It says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now, the thing we need to understand is that the 21st century Christian has probably a hard time understanding something that the first century Christian took for granted. And the first century Christian took for granted that Jesus was coming back any moment. Literally, any moment. When a, when a first century Christian got up in the morning, probably he or she would first thing would say, I wonder if Jesus come back today. Because when Jesus had lived on the earth, he had said, you know, that he was going to die and rise again from the dead, go back to heaven, then he was going to come back soon. And, and Jesus did die on a cross to pay the penalty for human sin. And then he rose from the dead to demonstrate that he's the son of God. And then he lived on the earth for 40 more days and he was visible to his disciples and to 500 other people, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15. And then, as again, he went back to heaven and he said, I'm coming back soon. Now, if I said to you right now, I have to leave the platform for a while, but I will be back soon. And then I walked down and I went out the door. Most of you would be a little, you know, perplexed. What's going on here? But, but the thing that you would probably do is you'd give me grace for maybe five minutes. You'd sit there for five minutes. You'd start looking at your watch, you know, ten minutes. About 15 minutes into my being gone, some of you would get up and leave. Certainly within a half an hour, you'd all be gone. Nobody would be left and, and, because I said I'd be back soon, right? Well, think about this. Jesus said he was going to be back soon 2,000 years ago. That is not soon by anybody's perspective, right? Soon is 5, 10, 15 minutes. Certainly not 2,000 years. Now... 2,000 years may be the, a blip on the radar screen of eternity, but for, for we who are human, 2,000 years is a long, long time. And so these first century believers were waiting for Jesus to come back any day, and then something started to happen. Some of them started to die. 
And a question came up in the minds of those who were still alive. Well, since they died before Jesus come back, came back, do they miss out on Jesus when he comes back? In other words, if you die before Jesus comes back, are you just dead? Now, think about this with me logically for a minute. If Jesus said that those who die are going to rise from the dead, it only makes sense that you have to die in order to rise from the dead, right? I mean, resurrection from the dead doesn't make any sense if you don't die, but they're new to this idea of resurrection. Some of us think that in the first century, everybody was superstitious and they believed everything that anybody said, but the truth is, first century people who were Greek by their thought pattern, which would include the Romans, they thought that the physical world was transient, it was passing away, and that the only thing that remained was the soul. And so they thought that when you died, you got to get rid of this silly human body and you got to just be a soul forever. And so resurrection from the dead made no sense to them. Now, the Jews, who were God's chosen people, they were divided into two groups. Some of the Jews believed that when you die, you just stay dead. And, and the leading you know, religious party that believed that was the Sadducees. A couple weeks ago, I said the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection from the dead, and that's why they're Sadducee, right? Okay, so they're, they're, they didn't believe. Just like many people in our day, I've talked to a lot of people in 2015 you know, who have said, you know, I think when we die, that's just it. You know, they put us in the ground and the worms eat us. That's it. Then the other Jews, what they thought was that God was going to bring people back from the dead, resurrection from the dead. They did believe that, but what they didn't believe was that Jesus could be the one who made that possible because they had this belief. It was in the writings of the Bible. It said any man who is hung on a tree, dies on a tree, crucified, is cursed. So how could Jesus be the avenue for which people would rise from the dead? So everybody's sort of confused and Paul is helping them to not be confused. He says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of the people that don't have any hope. Now, it's very important that we understand something. Being a pastor, and actually being a believer for 46 years, but being a pastor for more than 30 of those years, I have been around a lot of people when they have died. I've officiated at or attended hundreds of funerals. I've been in the hospital room or a nursing home room or a family uh, you know, home when somebody died to this life and went to be with the Lord. And in that situation, there have been times when somebody in the family has turned to me and said, well, I guess we shouldn't be sad because dad's better off. Aunt Susan is better off. It's time for joy. And, and you know, Paul says, the apostle Paul says, we don't grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. He doesn't say we don't grieve, period. And the thing is, it depends on the circumstances, how we feel when somebody dies. I mean, depending on the age, the, the situation, how did the person die, especially whether they know Jesus or whether they don't. But no matter what, if we love somebody, it doesn't matter how old they are, when they die, we're sad. That's normal. The Apostle Paul said it was normal. Guess who else said it was normal? Jesus. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, a good friend who had died, he cried. He, he, and he was going to raise him from the dead in a few minutes. And yet he still cried. Why? Because death is not normal. You know, we're told, oh, death's just part of life. No, it isn't. Death is part of what the devil did. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the devil, the thief, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life in all of its abundance. When God created the first two people, he didn't create them to die. Adam and Eve were supposed to live with God in relationship with God forever. It was their sin that brought death into the world. 
Because once they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God didn't let them eat from the tree of life. Because to live in eternity in sin, that's hell. So death came into the world, but it's not normal. And so we, we, we weep and cry, even though it's only going to be a short time. That's the thing. You know, it's going to be soon that we're going to see all our loved ones who have gone before us, right? In eternal terms. But soon doesn't seem soon when your mom just died or your dad just died or your child just died. It seems like forever. So, here's what Paul writes next. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So, what Paul is saying is the central truth of our faith is this. Jesus died and he rose again. Every believer in Jesus Christ, believes that Jesus died and that he rose again. And if you believe that truth, you can believe just about everything else that's written in this book. I mean, it's not that hard to believe that God can heal people if he can raise people from the dead. It's not that hard to believe that God can cast out demons from people if he can raise people from the dead. In fact, if God raised Jesus from the dead, he certainly can raise us from the dead. And that's what Paul says, that Jesus rose from the dead and now he's going to bring back those who have died. Now, this is where people of good character in the Christian church have argued and debated with each other for the last 2,000 years. What does that mean, bring them back from the dead? Does that mean they've been dead for 2,000 years now if they died 2,000 years ago? Does that mean that Uncle Joe, who died two years ago, is just lying in the grave dead? Or, or, or did they go to heaven, but they're going to come back whenever Jesus comes back? Well, what is all this about? And, and so there's been challenges and debates and arguments about what's going on and some people have even decided that maybe you know we just fall asleep for a while and and then we come back to life and and it's just a a, a real question now Paul seeks to explain this when he says this we tell you this directly from the Lord we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What was Paul saying? Well, the first thing that Paul was saying is this. When Jesus comes back, everybody's going to know it. It says it's going to come with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. Da-da-da-da! Should have had Brad do that. But doom, boom, one minute Jesus isn't there, one second he is, like in the blink of an eye. He's not going to be here, then everybody's going to see him. So what we're told for sure is that nobody's going to have to wonder if Jesus came back. When he comes back, he he will be back. So that's the first thing we're told. Then the next thing we're told is that the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. And that's where the questioning comes in. You know, okay, so have they been in their graves? Have what's, and some people have invented this thing called soul sleep, that from the time you die until Jesus comes back, your soul goes to sleep. And then when Jesus comes back, your soul wakes up and your body goes up into heaven, you know, first, because the dead in Christ rise first. And that would be an interesting concept, and, and a lot of people believe it. But Jesus said something that makes me not believe that. Jesus was once approached by the Sadducees, you know, the guys that don't believe in, Jesus, in the resurrection of the dead. And they had a story. They had this situation. They said, okay, there was a man who married a woman, and the man died. 
And, and because of the law of Moses, you know, the man had a brother and he, the brother wasn't married. And of course, the law of Moses says the brother has to marry the woman so that he can have a child that will actually carry on the family line of the brother that died. So the brother marries the woman and, and, and he died. And then there was another brother and he married the woman and he died. And eventually there's seven brothers and they all marry the woman and they all die. Man, the lady must have been a terrible cook, huh? But anyway, anyway, then she dies. And, and so here's what, here's what the, the Sadducees asked Jesus. Okay, so at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? And, and listen carefully to Jesus' answer. Here's what he says. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Listen very carefully. I'm going to stop right here because this isn't in my message, but I want you to hear it. We do not become angels when we die. We become like angels, which means like angels because we're eternal beings, and we're going to be with God forever. Please, 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 please. When somebody has a little baby, miscarriage or baby dies, do not say God needed another angel. I've been there, and that's a very hurtful thing to hear when your baby just died. I know it's helpful. You think it's helpful. Best thing to say whenever somebody lost a baby is nothing. Just hug them and say, we love you. We're praying for you. Okay. I, last night I didn't get that explicit, but then somebody, two people came up to me who had lost children and said, did you say that because of, and I said, yes. Everybody wants to be helpful in those times. There's nothing that can help when you just lost your baby except Jesus. So, okay, we come like angels. Then let's get back on the point. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what Jesus made clear is that when God spoke, and this was actually when he spoke to Moses through the burning bush, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God, meaning that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would still be dead, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were with God then. And so the point that Jesus was making 2,000 years ago, still valid today, is that when somebody dies, they don't stay dead, they get to be with God. And even Paul says to be absent from the body, which means to be dead, is to be present with the Lord. And so Paul was trying to help us to understand something. What was the question? If they die before Jesus comes back, do they get to go to heaven? Of course they do. Because Jesus died on the cross and they were saved by his blood shed. And the fact that they died to this life doesn't mean that they don't get to experience the new life. They get to experience the new life forever with God. Just the same as everybody who's alive when Jesus comes back. Now here's the thing. There are some other scriptures specifically in the book of Revelation that talk about a time of tribulation. And some people say, well, when is this thing going to happen when you know, the dead in Christ are going to rise? And then all of us who are, who are alive, if Jesus came back today, we would all get to go up too. And you know, when there'd be empty cars, you know, if I'm driving down to Pittsburgh, Jesus comes back, boom, I'm not driving anymore. So my car wrecks, right? And if I'm an airplane pilot and I go up to be with God and no airplane pilot anymore. So the plane crashes and all that kind of stuff. It makes good movies. And it's true. But the question is, because the book of Revelation says there's this time of tribulation, well, do we get to go out before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation? The book of Revelation talks about this thousand-year reign, millennial reign of Jesus, and when does that happen in relation to all of this stuff? And here's the thing. Listen very, very, very carefully. Actually, I'm not going to put it up on the screen until after I say it. It will be up on the screen because I'm going to say it twice. I don't know how all this fits together, but I 
do know that it does all fit together. The key truth in Paul's word and in Revelation is this. All who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will live and reign with him forever. Okay, now up on the screen. I don't know how all this fits together. No T at the end of my name, just Chris. Right? What I do know is that it does all fit together. The key truth in Paul's words in Revelation and in Revelation is this. All who know Christ Jesus, Savior and Lord, will live and reign with him forever. You see, some of us won't die. If Jesus comes back, we won't die. The rest of us will die, and if we die before Jesus comes back, we'll come back alive, and I believe it's right away, and some people believe we sleep for a thousand years or however long until Jesus comes back. I don't know how that works. What I do know is it works. And that's the key point that Paul is making to the Thessalonians, the key point that I'm making to all of you right now. And what does Paul's final word say? He says, Jesus is coming soon, and here's the thing, then we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, so encourage each other with these words. And, and we live in turbulent times, don't we? We live in times where terrorism is going on. We live in times where there's natural disasters all over the place. We live in times when it seems like less and less people are following Jesus. And in times like that throughout history, people have said, Jesus is coming soon. Yes, he is. He's coming soon. Now, I'm going to leave for a little while. I'm going to come back soon. For, for you, that would mean 5, 10, or 15 minutes. But soon is sometime longer than 2,000 years in Jesus' terms because he's eternal. But he's coming back. Could be today. Could be tomorrow. Could be next week. I don't know when it is. But when we think about Jesus' return, the truth is when he comes back, every believer of every time and every era of history, if it's future, present, past, is going to be with him forever. And that's what Paul said. So some of you are really probably really not very happy with me right now because I didn't tell you when it's going to happen and where it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. But here's the thing. I decided probably at the very beginning of my ministry that I was going to be on the welcoming committee for Jesus' return, not on the planning committee. Now, what does that mean? That means there are people who wake up and every day of their lives, they open up their Bibles and they go to the book of Revelation, they go to the book of Ezekiel, they go to the book of Daniel, they go to all these books, and they try to figure out who's the Antichrist and when's he going to be coming and is he already on the earth? And if, if we could figure out this particular thing, what happens in the book of Revelation chapter 19, then we would know how long it is till Jesus comes back. And so they spend 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day on these things. And they write books about them and they pass them on to people and make videos and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're waiting for Jesus to come back. And the thing is, that's fine. And some people are probably called to do that. I'm not one of them. I was called to help people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Because I believe that it's my job and my calling to help thousands of people come to know Jesus before he comes back. Because if you don't know Jesus before he comes back, you go to hell. And I want everybody to know Jesus. Because I don't want anybody to go to hell. And so I wake up in the morning and I don't spend 8 or 10 hours trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. I spend 8, 10, 12 hours trying to help people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. And that's disturbing to some people because I should be trying to figure it out. When he comes back, we're all going to know. Da, 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 da. Boom, he's back. So I don't have to worry about that. What I do, I don't really have to worry about anything Jesus said, right? But what I do need to do is focus intentionally on doing the things that I can do. So here's the take-home point for today. For those of you who are new, we try to make one point. And this is the point I've been making all the way through the message is this. Jesus' return will be sudden and dramatic. Nobody will expect it. 
Well, there will be people who are waiting and waiting and waiting, but most people aren't going to expect it. It could be this afternoon, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, it could be next month, it could be a thousand years from now. But this is also something very, very important. You and I have at most 120 years before we face Jesus. You and I have at most 120 years before we face Jesus. The road home is going to come for us either through Jesus' return or our going to him. We don't have eternity to get ready for Jesus to come back. We have this lifetime. We get one chance, one lifetime to live this great adventure. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I would urge you to do that today. And you say, well, I don't believe any of this stuff you're talking about, so it doesn't really apply to me. It doesn't impact me. It does if it's true. That's always been the issue. The issue is either Jesus Christ is who he says he is, which means he died and rose again, went to heaven, and he is coming back, or he isn't who he says he is, in which case we're wasting our time here this morning. Now, here's the thing. There is so much evidence, A, that God exists. Just look around. Go outside today. Look at the creation around us, and there's a creation, so there's probably a creator. There's, you know, that's a scientific statement. Do you realize that? Cause and effect is what science is all about. There, there was, there's an effect, so therefore there must be a cause. Ask any scientist, what do you do? I study cause and effect. Well, there's, effect, there's an effect, a creation, so it must be a cause. Okay, except for, that's the exception is, if you're a scientist, you don't think there was a cause for the creation of the universe. Anyway, the next thing is, there is so much evidence that Jesus lived on the earth, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. There's so much evidence for that. It's, I mean, it's not 100%. I can't prove it 100%. If I could prove it 100%, there would be no need for faith. Why doesn't God prove things 100%? Because then we wouldn't have any option. We would only believe, right? It would be coerced. We'd be robots. Not, we wouldn't be offering a free gift of love to God. We would be offering something, something that's less than that. And God wants children. He, he doesn't want slaves. He doesn't want robots. And so God gives a little bit of doubt. And what I've learned over the years when I start to doubt is I just doubt my doubts. Because of how much evidence there is that God is really there. We have the opportunity to live a great adventure. Every single day of our lives, we get the opportunity to wake up and say, what's God got have, have for me to do today? I know that there's a God who created the universe and that he loves me. And that he showed that by his son Jesus coming to die on the cross for me. And I know that he rose from the dead and he went back to heaven and he sent his spirit to live in all of us who believe in him. So that our lives don't have to be average lives. Or less than average lives. They can be lives that matter eternally. And some people won't accept that because it doesn't make sense to them. It seems weird to them. Some people are just too arrogant to accept it. Some people don't have enough information to accept it. There are all these reasons. But once we believe it, our lives change forever. That's what Jesus said. And we're supposed to live this great adventure until he returns. So if we've trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, or if you just did that this morning, as I've been talking, you said, whoa, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to live this life that's truly life that Jesus offers. Then what are we going to do today? And here's, here's today's commitment, and it's this. I will live ready this week. I will live ready this week. What does that mean? It does not mean that we are going to walk around looking up in the sky, seeing if Jesus come back. We don't have to look up in the sky and see if Jesus is coming back because when he comes back, we're going to know. 
Everybody's going to know. What it means is that we live as if what we know is true is true. And so we're going to tell people in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces about Jesus. We're going to say, Jesus, thank you so much that you've given us 2,000 years to tell everybody we know and everybody we don't know about you. So nobody has to go to hell. You see, people say that God is a vengeful God. No, he's not. He's so loving and he's so patient. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. But when Jesus returns, dun, da, 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 it's over. And if you're not ready, it's too late to get ready. So in closing, let, let me talk about something that happened this week. Unless you were, you know, under, you know, unless you were in a tunnel or sleep, slept all week, you know that the new Star Wars movie came out this week, right? People have been waiting for this new Star Wars movie for months. They've been getting ready for months for this new Star Wars movie to come out. In fact, $100 million worth of tickets were sold before the movie even came out. Hey, I bought $25 worth of them. The thing is, these people got ready. I mean, people showed up in costume. There were people that got married outside of movie theaters in Star Wars costumes. You know, I mean, they were ready. Folks, just a movie. It's not real. In fact, it's seven movies, and I was at the movie theater to see all seven of them when they came out. You know, but they're just movies, and there's just seven movies. Well, there's going to be nine, well, maybe 12. You never know. If Jesus doesn't come back, there might be 100. But the point is, all these people were so ready for the force to awaken. Are they ready for Jesus to come back? Are we ready for Jesus to come back? Now, here's the thing. If Jesus doesn't come back before this Thursday, which is Christmas Eve, I urge you to join us again on Thursday afternoon at 4, at 5.30, at 7, at 8.30. Those right, Brad? Okay. Um, 4, 5.30, 7, 8.30 to worship Jesus because we're going to talk about the same thing we're talking about today. Again, to all the people that come, we're going to talk about Jesus. We always talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about his birth on Christmas Eve. You've got to talk about that, right? But we're going to talk about Jesus coming back, and the message title is Ready or Not. And just let me say, it's better to be ready than not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've given us so much opportunity to be ready for the return of your son Jesus. God, today I pray for anyone in this room who isn't ready, that this would be the day when they get ready. That right now, that person would say, Jesus, come in and become Lord, owner of my life. Come in and be Savior. Take away sin and death and wrath that is coming. And let me live that joyful life, that new life that only you can give. And God, for all of us who have trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that we would live ready this week. That we would remind ourselves and encourage ourselves with the words that when you come, all who know you will reign with you forever. And I pray, God, that we would not let anyone in our spheres of influence not know that truth and have the opportunity to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.